Hello, wonderful people. Welcome to the Jake's Hevel Distinguished Fellowship Podcast, where we amplify the voices of recognized educational leaders in South Africa. I'm your host, Carla Watson, former high school teacher and founder of the Distinguished Fellowship, in partnership with the prestigious Mail and Guardian Young 200 Award. Together, we amplify the voices of recognized educational leaders in South Africa. Welcome to our podcast. Morning, Ayanda. How are you today? Morning, Carla. I'm very well. And yourself? Good. Thank you. I'm particularly excited to chat to you today around the topic that you've brought to us as a distinguished fellow at a male and guardian young 200 South African, which looks at the nexus between the digital divide and inequality in South African basic education. And I welcome this topic that you, you're bringing into this conversation because I simply believe it's an important one and it's one that's not spoken about enough. Thank you. I look forward to our conversation, Kala. Awesome. So Ayanda, I'd love to welcome you to this podcast episode and also let our listeners know just a little bit more about you and a little bit more about how you fit into the picture of education. And I'm going to read the bio that you, you shared um, for, for us to understand a little bit more about you today. Ayanda Magida is an academic researcher in the chair of digital business and a PhD candidate at Wits Business School. Ms. Magida graduated with a Bachelor of Social Sciences, cum laude, Masters of Social Sciences, specializing in research psychology from the University of Pretoria. Before joining WITS Business School, she worked for WITS Health Consortium as lead researcher in a Gates Foundation program and the Center for Health Science Education Faculty of Health Sciences in the University of Witzbatersrand as an associate researcher and research coordinator. She is well-versed in various methodologies, qualitative and quantitative research, mixed methods, systematic reviews, teaching research methodologies and evidence-based practices, program evaluation and implementation sciences. And over the eight years of experience in academia, Ms. Magida has presented her work at both international and national conferences. Her broad research interests include research methodology, gender inequality, and industrialization. Within the chair, Ayanda works on economic and social impact of digitalization, specifically focusing on the future of work, digital economy platforms, digital divide, automation, AI, and robots on jobs in South Africa in light of the anticipated digital disruption, fourth industrial revolution. In 2019, she made the prestigious Mail and Guardian list of young 200 South Africans in the education category. Now, Ayanda, with a bio like that, it is very clear why the Mail and Guardian identified you as one of the top 200 South Africans for your work in education. And I am very impressed with a bio like this, and I want to affirm the work that you're doing. It's such an important aspect of education, and I guess my words would be digital citizenship. Mm-hmm. Ayanda, in 2019, the Mail and Guardian recognized you for the work that you are contributing to this space. 
In your words, what did the Mail and Guardian Young 200 Award and its experience mean to you? Okay, um, thanks, Caroline. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm really humbled by the bio. Um, so the, when the Mail and Guardian nomination came from um, came through, I was surprised. Um, I was not even anticipating it. Um, I was delighted though that I was nominated in one of these prestigious, um, you know, um, 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 prestigious um, um, programs in South Africa and recognition as you know a young. Um, one of the top 200 young people. So it it, it was quite overwhelming. Um, I was also quite humbled um, by the very fact that I, you know, um, other people saw the work that I do. Um, and therefore I was recognized for it. And that for me was, you know, the humbling moment. Um, I'm one of those people who are not into, you know, big, um, recognition. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I feel the passion has to just speak for itself. Let your work speak for itself. But more than that, I think we get too attached to these, you know, um, um, recognitions that we forget about the real work. Um, and therefore, I try and not to get myself distracted from, you know, the ultimate purpose uh, or what I'm focusing on. Um, my, I was excited because I felt it's, it's an opportunity, you know, for me to be out there, but, you know, potentially to be able to meet other people within the education space. I, you know, the, those who are nominated for the education um, um, sector, I, I, you know, I, I define my own kind of concept and say education disruptors uh, because it's young people doing great things within the education space. So it felt good to be amongst the top, you know, um, young people who are making a difference in the education system. But also, you know, for the fact that Melon Guardian recognizes that, you know, the future is young people. Um, and therefore, there's a need, you know, to create such platforms so that they are seen, you know, their roles are seen. But also, I think it was a good networking um, opportunity and platform for me because, I got to, you know, meet some of the amazing people who are doing great stuff um, within the education space. But it was also an opportunity for me to see um, on how I can leverage, you know, from the connections that I've made, especially with those in the education space. How do we find, you know, that um, um, opportunity to be able to work with each other, you know, recognizing that we are all, you know, in different spaces, but we are still within the education space. Um, and therefore, I felt it was an opportunity. And through that, you know, I've met quite a few amazing people and um, I've leveraged from that, um, 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 from those relationships. I think um, for me, more than anything, um, it, it meant that, you know, I, I am here and I, I always say we are the ones that we've been waiting for. Um, and you know, our time is now um, as young people to be able to use some of the, the tools and, and the spaces that we're in to be able to, I say disrupt, but I use disrupt in, in a positive way to say bring about all the changes that we feel are needed because we know the education system, we know the challenges that are there, we know what frustrates us about you know these spaces that we're in, we know some of the challenges with regards to inclusion, um, challenges regards in inequality and I think it's an opportunity for us as young people and you know we are so it's it's good that we're having this post podcast 
in, in, in during Youth Month. Um, it's, it's about time that as young people, we let our voices heard in a more positive way. Um, and not that other means be not as positive, but I think it's an opportunity for us to be able to make a difference um, in, in, in the education space and use our research. I think for me, one of the other key things um, why I'm passionate about research. I am of the view that research should not just be something that we collect and leave, you know, in those journals, but it should be able to make differences in our society. And I think um, with the younger people in the space, getting into the space of education, we have the opportunity to be able to make our research to be more accessible, um, to make the research that we are doing to also make bring about the changes in, in the society that we live in. Thank you. It, I'm hearing a lot of gratitude and I'm hearing a lot of appreciation for the recognition of the work that you're doing, but not only the recognition, but what you've been able to do with that and being able to take that into your network and into your career as a way to improve what you're doing. And I particularly like the words you used around the work and your contribution to education being disrupting in a positive way. And, and, and challenging the, the obstacles and the, the, the problems that we have with inclusion. And with the topic that you've brought to this conversation today, Ayanda, you, you, you speak, you want to speak about the nexus between the digital divide and inequality in South African basic education system. I want you to help us understand a little bit more about what you believe is the digital divide in South Africa. <laughs> Okay, so I, I, I'm going to start with um, one of the theoretical understanding of what the digital divide is, um, which is basically a binary view, you know, of the haves versus the have-nots, right? And, and I think from our context, um, you know, we are already in a divided society. We have two nations in one. We've got a dual economy um, and a dual socio, you know, um, economy. Um, and therefore, you know, when you have an environment or a society like that and you bring into the mix, you know, <laughs> the digital divide, it becomes mm -hmm. even more complex, right? Um, it becomes complex such that, um, for instance, we're in Gauteng, and when we look at digital divide, it's not digital divide between, you know, people in Santin and people in Soweto, for example. But it's a digital divide between, you know, people within Soweto because already there's a divided um, kind of society even within, you know, the townships that we live in. Um, you look at from an education system, um, you know, basic education system specifically, um, the, the 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 public um, education system has um, always divided into five quintiles. Um, we know one, two, are the poorest, you know, it's no fee-paying schools. And, mm -hmm. you know, Three to about five, you have, you know, those, you know, former model C schools fall into the five and four, um, and three is kind of in between, you know. Um, but within this, within our communities, we get a mix of all, you know, um, schools from quintile one and quintile five, and what basically means is that even from an education perspective, you know, there's inequalities that are existing, right? Um, where, you know, learners in quintile one, for instance, do not have the same resources um, and access to, you know, um, resources as learners in quintile five, purely because it's a no fee paying school. And therefore with, you know, learners from quintile five, you know, there's opportunity for the school to be able to use some of the fees to get some of the things that are needed. Whereas in quintile one, they depend solely on the department. And those are some of the challenges that we face uh, from an education perspective. And, and for me, 
and unless we try and address you know the basics you know back to the basics and, and trying and ensuring that our education system is inclusive and by inclusive i mean learners in quintile 1 you know have the same resources as you know the learners in quintile 5 schools um you look at the advent of covid-19 i think for me it was an eye opening um to the reality that is faced by a lot of our learners in the public school system or the basic education system where learners mm-hmm. in private schools carried on it was business as usual and normal they were not disrupted they were not impacted as much as learners in the public schools and you know because of it's purely because of resources you know learners in rural um, schools already are confronted with infrastructural challenges so you know introducing digital or introducing computers and you know tablet is 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 just you know, complex and complicated mm. because at the moment, you know, the basics, you know, just the basics of them. We know a lot of our learners depend, for instance, they depend on the school nutrition program, right? And when, you know, the whole um, COVID-19 hit, you know, they could not get the meal. And some of them is probably the first and last meal that they ever get. And now you want to tell them to say, you have to study online. You know, how is the the the, the system, in, you know, enabling that for them when they are still struggling with with kind of the basics and and I think for me it's a deeper and a bigger problem that if it's not addressed it's going to perpetuate the same levels of inequality and I'm going to go back to you know the point I raised regarding the different quintile you know schools and the fact that you know with the habit of COVID we've seen you know we saw a lot of you know uh, learners in in private schools and some quintile five schools carrying on business as usual what does that mean for learners in the rural areas, for instance? What did that mean, you know, um, where they don't even have um, the infrastructure, where the teachers, some of the teachers are not as, you know, um, equipped with regards to these digital resources? Where we've seen um, in some schools claiming to have distributed the number of tablets, and we know that, you know, um, in the ground, people, you know, are saying they have not received it. So what did that mean? For that learner, and 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 you look at how that then filters to the higher education space, because then you have learners who are not as prepared, um, you know, with regards to digital digital literacy, and 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 that's another thing with the digital divide is that, you know, it's not only just about the has and the have nots; it's about, you know, access to you know internet, um, and also access does not um, uh, translate to usage. You know, you can have access to internet, but you know, you find that you are not able to use it um, uh, as, as, as good as you have to. But also beyond usage is what benefits are associated, you know, with being online. Right now, you and I are having this podcast online. You know, these are some of the benefits that, you know, we have um, as a result of the internet. But some of our learners are not aware of these, you know, benefits beyond just the social media. And And I think for me, what pains me the most is, Whenever we talk about digital divide, whenever we talk about digital inequality, we tend to say, oh, no, but learners have got cell phones, they've got WhatsApp. You know, WhatsApp does not mean, you know, inclusion. And and I think that's the mistake that we make, you know, to say, okay, just because they've got WhatsApp, does it mean that they are able to utilize the, the, the you know, the internet um, and, and all the other opportunities that are available? It does not translate to that. And, and, and also... Because our learners have not been orientated or are not as digital literate um, as they should be, 
whenever there's you know open source wi-fi the only thing they think about will be is, is just social media and you know um and hence you know when people say but you have a number of people on facebook and on whatsapp um therefore it means you know the level of the digital divide is not as high i tend to you know hold a different view to say if they knew that, for instance, you know, some of the resources that are out there in the internet, some of, you know, the opportunities, some of the causes that they could be able to, you know, do whilst, whilst having access to internet in order to, um, 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 in order to, um, what's the word? <laughs> Sorry about that. No, in order to on. empower themselves, um, yes. you know, in order to empower themselves and, you know, how, how, we see internet as just a tool, um, you know, that destroys our young people because of social media. I see it as an empowering tool that if these young people can be taught on some of the benefits, you know, it can be a good, um, you know, tool in terms of empowerment. So I guess for me, it's it's that uh, color that we cannot, um, you know, separate uh, the the issue of inequality. I mean, we know South Africa is faced with the triple threat, uh, which is poverty. Um, unemployment and inequality and I add that the digital divide because I, I feel it's, it's quite key. We live in the digital era where most of the things are digital um, and, and unfortunately most of our young people do not um, know or are not exposed to some of the resources that are out there beyond just social media. And, and I think it's about time that, you know, we make sure that um, in our education system, we, you know, we, we, we empower them um, so that they get emancipated um, and they can see internet as a tool to emancipation, not just empowerment only, um, you know, where they can be able to, you know, leverage and, and get other opportunities um, and empower themselves a, as well. So I, I guess that's, that's for me that, uh, and I think um, we cannot, from an education system perspective, we cannot, um, you know, um, claim that all learners have access to internet. I'll, I'll make an example of a family member who stays in Soweto, where the teacher had to send um, a, 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 um, communication last day during COVID via WhatsApp. Now, what happens to a parent who does not have a smartphone? Does that mean that their kids are excluded? And those are some of the things that, you know, we we, we do not talk about. And it's things mm -hmm. that are happening when you go into the ground. Um, you know, we look at just because you have a smartphone doesn't mean that you have, you know, um, you know, the data. The parents might not have data. It means that the learner is automatically excluded. But but we know that, you know, from our history um with, you know, the HIV virus, a lot of kids um, you know, are raised by, you know, the older generation. So you expect this old um grandma or grandfather to have a smartphone and to be literate and to have WhatsApp and to be able to check. You know, it's all those dynamics that I think we need to have a frank conversation about. Um, it's all the dynamics that, you know, I, I believe that at the basic education system should try and, and, and create an, an enabling environment um, in ensuring that in as much as, yes, we know that there'll always be inequalities, but let's then try and ensure that even at the basic education system, you know, the, the learners um, um, uh, experience kind of the same benefits as those um, in private schooling. Um, so, so there isn't a huge, you know, gap between the has and the have not. Absolutely. I think, I think once, uh, as soon as we we try and tackle that, then the whole issue of inequality then becomes kind of narrow instead of widening because. Um, the education system, the basic education system, you know, whatever that is affecting or impacting on, it translates into the tertiary system. You know, you have first year learners 
for the first time, even in 2021, uh, you know, seeing a laptop for the first time. And and that could not that is that is that should not be acceptable. You know, that is not something that we should be happy about to say, oh, they made it to university, but now they go they come into the space, they're not well equipped, they're not, they don't know how a laptop works, you know, um, and 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 they don't even own a laptop, you know. Um, so it's all those things that I think and believe that, you know, they they could potentially be addressed. If, you know, we have, you know, good policies, I don't believe we have a, a good policy from um, an ICT perspective at the Department of Basic Education currently. Um, we saw this when the minister was questioned earlier on about, um, you know, how, what's the, the role? And she, you know, she just gave a, a, a different response with regards to that. And that for me was a concern to say, we are not talking about, um, you know, big things. We're not talking about offering um, you know, students' tablet. We're talking about partnerships. A lot of universities got into partnerships last year with the different network providers in order to try and ensure that, you know, the students have access because they recognize that data, first of all, is expensive in South Africa. And therefore, now we expect students to, be, to study online when data is expensive. So we should create an enabling environment. And I think the education system could have at least, you know, tried to you know, create such um, um, enabling environment. Um, I do recognize that even if, you know, we, you know, they were to create those partnerships with the different network providers, there will always be those who do not have, but at least you have tried something, unlike saying um, we just issue the, the tablets. And also the tablets, if you can't just issue tablets to create 12 learners, what about the other grades, you know? Um, mm. So for me, I guess it's a bigger problem. It's a societal mm. problem. And it then try to translate to other social problems that we have. I always say, um, you know, to my colleagues that you might think that um, your your child goes to a private school and, and you're not bothered by that child goes to a public school. But if the child going to a public school is not empowered, you know, as your child, they're going to be a problem to your child. And and as soon as we think about that and and, and not just look at it um, at face value to say, it's not my problem, my child is sorted. And you look at a bigger picture to say, then they're going to be a problem because they're going to drop out of school. Um, and then, you know, I mean, you're not saying that they will get into criminal activities, but, you know, we know what happens in our country. Um, there's also high unemployment and they will create problems for your child in the future. And I think as soon as we think about that, um, we will realize that it's not only just a basic education problem. You know, it's a societal problem that if we don't all kind of uh, cohesively work together in trying to ensure that at least the basic education, you know, everyone has equal opportunity, then um, we, we will have the same circle is going to be perpetuated. Ayanda, the passion in your voice is very clear. And and I want to pick up a couple of the important points that you've shared with us today. You've you've I think you've presented the landscape in South Africa beautifully, beautifully complicated. And you've touched on many of the challenges that South Africa, um, both South Africa and basic education, the Department of Basic Education faces. Um, I really like how you've identified the triple threat in South Africa, but added on digital inequality as a way to ground your your position on this. Um, I want to bring in, I want to highlight two points. The one is how how you've you've really defined digital literacy 
in my words, as a way of, of separating access versus the skill or the ability to use the medium. And that's often something our, our, our policymakers, our leaders, our, our community leaders overlook. We, we tend to think exactly as you described. We tend to think that if we give someone a device and because they kind of know how to use it, they therefore can learn or there's an opportunity there for them to enhance or advance themselves. But in reality, as you've well described, the, the disconnect, no pun intended, but the disconnect is, is massive and growing if we don't address this. I also want to acknowledge and appreciate the angle that you've brought in, particularly in Youth Month, around the HIV, the, the tradition, the historical HIV impact on how families are set up in societies. And to be honest, I hadn't considered both the technological and generational gap between a grandparent and a, and a young person engaging with the, the pandemic in this space due to the HIV pan, uh, epidemic itself. And in, in our schooling systems, you know, we speak of the, the, the three points in, in how to build effective communities in schools and schooling, which is the relationship between the student, the school and the parent. And those three points are what are what is supposed to build a cohesive and inclusive environment for for success and advancement. But again, quite outdated given the the COVID impact at this stage. And again, you've also highlighted good things about the cost of data. And 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 I want to acknowledge and and push you a little bit in this one point that you raised, which was the DBE's ICT policies were unsatisfactory for you. And I want to, I, I love it, you know, I like your confidence, they're good. But I, I want to understand um, how do you position or what would you believe to be a good position on ICT policy for the Department of Basic Education? Okay. Um, so for me, I mean, I am not also <laughs> well-versed with, with regards to, you know, the policy, but I think I was sure. just taken aback by, you know, um, you know, the response that, mm. um, issue of data was not even a priority, you know, at the beginning of the year. And that for me was a concern, um, you know, from from you know um a concern especially with somebody who's passionate about you know the injustice mm. um and social inequalities that we see in our communities. Um and 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 I mean I'm gonna take it a step further and say um not that we are comparing apples with oranges but you look at the private schooling system, you know, mm -hmm. kids are already taught coding, you know, at grade mm -hmm. zero, zero. Um, yeah. And from our basic education system, you know, kids are only introduced to a computer or some form of technological, um, you know, um, education um, in high school or towards the end of, you know, primary school. And that's a bit too late for me, in my view. Um, mm -hmm. I think that our policy should be inclusive in such that um, it should ensure that as soon as a, a child walks in into the education system, they're already introduced, you know, in grade one, they, they're introduced to the fundamentals. How do you hold a mouse? You know, it's, it's the basics that we take for granted, you know, how Absolutely. do you search for stuff on the internet um, so that they understand. And I think then when we start them there, it's an opportunity for us to also address, I know the education system is, currently battling with bullying. And now you add the, the whole cyberbullying, which becomes even more complex. You know, I think it's important that, you know, we start them early, introduce them to, you know, the, the basics, but also introduce uh, them to some of the key important things about, you know, the internet. And I think there's another missed opportunity from an education perspective in, in the issue of cyberbullying. 
Um, you know, we see quite a lot of these videos where kids are, you know, taking videos of themselves fighting and all that. And that's a form of yeah. cyberbullying. And I don't think that, you know, the learners are aware of that. Um, you know, they just take videos because it's something um, that, that has become quite common in our society. I think it's important that we orientate them at the beginning. You know, as soon as they get into the education system, they know what the basics are. They know how to use, you know, a laptop. A child is not shocked when they meet, um, you know, they have to use a laptop, um, you know, in high school or in, in tertiary because it's something that they have been introduced to. I think we need to start there. Um, we need to also start with our educators. You know, um, I'm not sure how, I mean, there's been quite a few studies where the older generation of educators were not as comfortable um, with using technology. But I think it also starts there. We can have all these smart chalkboards. We can, you know, have these nice classrooms. But unless, you know, we get buy-in again from, you know, the you mentioned the three key players, which is the school, you know, the parent and the child. And I think it's important that when we start them at that age, you know, we ensure that there's a good working relationship. I always say that schools in the township can be protected by the parents. You know, how do we ensure mm -hmm. that parents get the buy-in so that, you know, they protect these schools, they safeguard these schools because this is where their kids, you know, are going to establish themselves and, you know, build their future. Um, and I think if we do that, you know, this whole thing of having, um, schools uh, break-ins um, and laptops and some of the ICT things stolen would come to an end if, you know, there's a whole buy-in, there's, you know, orientation from the parents' perspective on, you know, the the tools that are there and how they can help their kids in, in the near future. I think they will be protective of the school itself. So I think it's, it's, it's it, you know, it touches on, on that. Um, you know, we the government talks a lot of coding, coding, so what? You know, I always <laughs> say coding. We can't be coding. All of us can be coding, really. Hala. Um, so there should be other things that we encourage our learners to do. There's more to internet than coding. And and I think it's about time that we start exploring um, exploring those. And and I think from a policy perspective um, and, a, and a policy implementation, I think as a country we've got beautiful policies um, on paper but when it comes to implementation, something else. And I think that's where our challenges lies in, in, in terms of the implementation. You know, how do we monitor implementation? I know the Department of Health is a good system in terms of M&E, but with the education space, I am not sure that we are, you know, there's quite strong, um, you know, views regarding the monitoring of these policies because we've got nice policies, but, you know, the issue becomes then the implementation and ensuring that, you know, it's sustained throughout and it's not just, you know, when it's launched and then because that's what normally happens. You know, something gets launched um, and if the media does not make noise about it, um, you know, life carries on, um, you know, with not, nothing being done to that. So I think it's, it, it also touches on that. But I am a firm believer that in us building our, you know, policies, and I guess it touches on the point I raised earlier to say we need to have research that, um, speaks to some of the social issues, right? Um, we need to use research as a tool to try and solve some of the societal problems that we have. Um, from a policy perspective, I think it's important that we ensure that our policies are informed by research. Um, we cannot take things that are happening in first world countries and expect that they will you know, run smoothly in our context. We've got other challenges that we have. And I think it's important that we need, in, in, in formulation of these policies, we need to recognize that in as much as we want to adapt, you know, policies from other countries, they may not necessarily work smoothly as they do in, in other contexts, purely because of some of 
our own challenges and you know contextual issues that we have and therefore i think it's important that whenever we think of policies whenever you know these policies are written um they should be informed by research um mm-hmm. in real time you know we shouldn't wait for five years um mm-hmm. you know for policies to be implemented because already that's outdated you know um what happened what happened in 2019 already is outdated because in 2021 mm-hmm. we've you know uh, COVID. So I think it is also it should be in real time. Um, and I think we should really stop trying to, um, I know it's good to emulate um, what other countries are doing, but I think it's important that we take some time in understanding some of our context and some of the issues and build our, policy, uh, our policies around that and leverage on that. Agreed. I under agreed entirely. And I like how you are mapping the core of some of our social inequality and and divisions in South Africa around the digital divide. I think you are spot on when you say it's an underreported matter, that it is not it's not as a priority as it should be in South Africa to bring and narrow the divi- the divide across the different threats as you described it, that that's challenging our society. What would, how would you describe your vision for education in South Africa? And you're welcome to include a lot of what you've spoken about today. And, and I know that there's, that's a broad question. I know that. Um, but it's, it's, there's, there's a, a wisdom, I guess, in, in putting some words out around what you believe to be what you want to happen in South Africa in education. So I say inclusion, <laughs> and, and I know inclusion is it is a broad sense. But you know, when I when when we talk inclusion, I think look, um, the government has tried uh, over the years um, to try and bridge some of you know the gaps with regards to um, you know the different schoolings, um, you know, offering their school nutritional program, which is running very well. But I think for me, um, education should be equal across. Um, what Elena gets in private school should be what Elena who's in private, private public schools quintile one should be getting um, I'm for I'm for inclusion I'm for if we want because education is a powerful tool as you know the, the previous uh, president has always said um, but unless we have kind of a equal education system in our country um, I don't think we'll be able to get as far as we want. Um, so I, I, I'm a firm believer in, in inclusive education. I'm a firm believer in having an, an equal education system where learners, like I said, in the rural areas, you know, is getting the same level of education as somebody in Santa, for instance. Um, I'm a firm believer of that. I think that's my vision <laughs> more than anything. I'd like mm-hmm. to see a South Africa where, you know, um, the same opportunities, the same resources afforded to Elena in a private school or in Hilton College is the same opportunities afforded to some to Elena in the rural KZN or the rural Estate Cape. You know, um, you know, the, all the infrastructural challenges, um, you know, addressed. To, we cannot be even at this day and age having learners walking 20 kilometers just to access education. I think that's unfair. Um, I think it's an injustice and therefore I am a firm believer of, you know, us having an inclusive education where, you know, learners across, where even parents themselves are not scared to take their kids to a quintile one school because it's kind of the same level um, and the same level of opportunities are afforded to all the kids. I am very appreciative of what your vision describes and how, and as you keep saying, as a firm believer of this, 
in that it's almost well overdue that South Africa begin, begins to move towards itself rather than continue the division for whatever reason, whether it's digital, economic, racial, gendered, and, and, and. And I, I believe that you are spot on around the role of, of the digital literacy or, or digital access and skills to be able to narrow this divide across the many sectors and many instances that you described. Ayanda, this brings us to the end of our podcast. It has been a wonderful time to talk to you. Can you believe it's been 40 minutes? I can't. <laughs> it just went by quickly, I must say. Um, thank you so much, Carla, for this opportunity. I think as a fellowship, um, you guys are playing such a huge role um, in the education space um, and you're creating enabling environment and platforms for us to you know, engage more about some of the issues um, with the education system. So thank you so much for inviting me. This brings us to the end of our podcast episode today. I'm your host, Carla Watson, founder of the Jake Scherville Distinguished Fellowship in wonderful partnership with the Mail and Guardian Young 200 Award. Together, amplifying the voices of recognized educational leaders in South Africa. Until our next conversation.